Well, last week we started a new series called Do You See? Do you see what I see? As we come to the Christmas story, many of you have heard it, you could quote it, you, you know everything about it, but sometimes it becomes so familiar that we actually lose the wonder of it. We lose the inspiration behind it. And so this series really was about how can we return and maybe see with fresh eyes and hear with fresh ears what this season really is all about. So if you missed last week, we'd encourage you to listen to last week's message. You can order on CD or you can follow us through iTunes. But we talked about this main point, that seeing Christmas clearly or seeing Christmas properly will bring clarity to your life. And we looked at the manger. We looked at the stable. We looked at the star. We didn't look at really any, any human characters. We just looked at the way that Jesus came and learned some very important parts about how we need to look at Christmas to see it more clearly. And in seeing it that way, how it brings remarkable clarity to our own lives. So if you missed those, I really encourage you last week's message to pick that up. Uh, but during the holiday season, during Christmas, there's also a lot of things to hear. You ever notice that? There's a lot of sounds of Christmas. How many of you started listening to Christmas music like in October? Any, any honest hands say, yeah, that's me. I had the Christmas playlist going. My wife did. I'm pretty sure in October had that thing going. And uh, we love the Christmas carols and the sounds of Christmas. But we also hear the, the ringing of the Salvation Army bell as they're receiving funds to help those families in need. And let me just tell you, be generous to the buckets when you go out of stores. Uh, Salvation Army has been hit hard this year, not only with international crisis, but also with local need. And so be generous. They do a good work. We can come alongside and help things that already exist and be generous in that way. But we hear the bells ringing that way. We also hear the chiming of a, of a Christmas time cell. Uh, perhaps too many chimes for you. Maybe you're hearing a little bit too much chiming from the cash register this year, and you need to be mindful that really it is about being generous, but it's also about being wise in how we spend. But you hear that. You also hear the, the, the shaking of presents. How many of you were present shakers or still are present shakers out there? You can't help but grab a present and give it a shake. Just try to guess what is inside there. How many parents kind of disguise the package by adding new sounds into the package so when your kids shake it, they like maybe hear a cat? And it's like, what? I didn't ask for a cat. Uh, but the things that we do, the sounds of Christmas, it's so wonderful to hear all the sounds. But here's the thing. With all the noise of Christmas, with all the sounds of Christmas, is it possible that we aren't actually listening for the simple sound of Christmas? When you think back to that first Christmas, the sounds would have been very different than the sounds that we hear today around this holiday. And, and sometimes because of all the noise, we sometimes miss the simple sound, the things that we should be hearing as we approach Christmas because there is a difference between hearing and listening, isn't there? And it's that difference that makes all the difference in the world. Let me give you an example. Hearing is a physical process. We all do it. In fact, you're doing it right now. There are sound waves that are coming from the sound system, and it's vibrating inside your eardrum, and you're receiving information. But unless you're hearing impaired, we are hearing all the time. We're always hearing. But listening is a mental process. Listening is that process where our brain begins to interpret what we are hearing and focus in on the message of the words or the message of the sound that we are hearing, and it processes to cause us to pay attention to it or to respond to it. 
So wives, I know you know there's a big difference between hearing and listening. Because you know there are times you've had to look at your husband and say these words, are you listening, right? They may, he may be hearing you, or maybe it's even with your children. Because we have learned a great skill, and the great skill is to hear without listening. Let me give you an example. Your, your love of your life is sitting down in front of the TV, and it's his favorite team playing against the team he hates the most. And you begin to talk to him, and he has a great skill to hear you but not pay attention to you. To even say things like, uh-huh, okay, right, all right, okay. And you might have just bought a house, and he didn't even know, right? Because we have an ability to hear without really listening. It's something we get really good at with our kids. They're in the back of the car, they're talking, about their day at school, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, yeah. And you're thinking about your shopping list, and you're thinking about all kinds of stuff, and, and you might have just given your child away and didn't know that you did. Why? Because we have an ability to hear without listening. And here's the thing. This Christmas, there's a lot of things to hear. But are we listening? Because the difference between hearing and listening is what you choose to pay attention to. And while there's a lot you could attend to this Christmas season, are you listening for and paying attention to what is most important? Now, I'm all for the fun. I'm all for those things. But is it possible that in all the noise, we can miss the sounds that we need to hear the most. You know, they say that seeing is believing, and I believe that to be true to a certain extent. I also believe that hearing is believing. In fact, the Bible talks about that, right? The Bible says that, what, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There's a verse that talks about that. But to a degree, I also think that believing is hearing. One of the shows that we watch around the holiday season is one called Polar Express. Maybe you've seen it once before. And there's a part in this video that I want to show us today that kind of brings this point of believing is hearing to a head. Let's watch it. Nate, please. That's good, Nate, for now. We'll go ahead and just move on. If you want more of it, watch the, watch the movie at some point in time. But what happened? He heard the sound of the bell once he chose... To believe. Now, we're not going to build a theology on a movie called The Polar Express, okay? That's not what we're going to do today, nor are we the church of The Polar Express. But here's something that I think is interesting. I, I think you would believe or join me in this way as well. I, I think that what we believe often will determine what you hear. Isn't that true why we can misunderstand somebody? They might say something, but based on what we believe about them, we hear it differently. Isn't that true? It's happened maybe even in some of your close relationships. They might be trying to say something to you, but because of what you have preconceived or what you have pre-believed, you haven't heard it properly. I think that there is a sense where believing is hearing. And as you approach Christmas and all the things to hear, here's the thing. Does your believing help you hear clearly what you need to be hearing and what you need to be listening to? In fact, I'll put it this way. What you believe about Christmas influences what you will hear this Christmas. So do you hear? Do you hear in a way that you are listening? In fact, there are some things I think we need to hear when it comes to the Christmas story once again, and perhaps to listen to it in a new way. 
First is I want you to hear the promise. Hear the promise. Believe that God is faithful to his promises. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, or if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seat in front of you, down on the racks, or you can also use your smart device, get the, the free Version Bible app. And if you have that Bible app, if you know how to navigate through there, you can go to menu, you can go to events. And under events, you should find Neighborhood Church as one of the local events. And just tap it, and our notes and pastors will be available for you right in there. But in Matthew chapter 1, we see Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus after this long genealogy that all of you stumble through, trying to pronounce all the names and wonder why in the world does Matthew begin with a long list of genealogy. Here's why, and Matthew picks up on it in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. And so it shows you that all the way back to the promise of Abraham, Jesus is coming. It says his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I want you to draw your eyes back to verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. By nature, God is a promiser. He's a promise giver. And throughout Scripture, we can see lots of times where he gave a promise to somebody in Scripture, beginning with, obviously, the very beginning of the opening of, of Scripture in Genesis. We see him giving promise to Abraham and promises on down the line where he was faithful to his promise. And a promise is basically the assurance that God gives to us, his people, so that we can walk by faith while we are waiting for him to work. So he gives us a promise, and in that promise, we are to have an assurance that God is working. Even though I maybe can't see it, even though I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out, God has given this precious promise to me, and I'm going to believe that even though I can't see that he's working on it on my behalf. And the truth is, we don't realize how much we need a promise until something happens in our life that causes us to grasp for promises. Maybe some of you have been there before. You got the diagnosis from the doctor you didn't want to hear. Or something happened in your family relationships. Or all of a sudden, your financial uh, stability that you, you were building your life on was gone. And pretty soon you find yourself doing what? Grabbing hold of some promises. And so you open up the Bible because you know the Bible is full of promises. In fact, there's even some Bibles that give you the promises in the back so you can look them up categorically and go, I need a promise for this. And so you find that promise and you hang on to it because you believe God is faithful. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it tells us this, that we're to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Why? For he who promised is faithful. He who promised 
is faithful. And so we go to Scripture and we, we look for promises that meet our particular need and we begin to hold on to that promise and believe God for that promise. But here's the challenge. In that space between looking at that promise or hearing that promise and the fulfillment of that promise, there's a gap. I mean, I wish God would work it out where it was like promise given and promise received, you know, like within five minutes of each other. Because we live in a society where we want that to be the case, right? We drive up through the drive through window, make our order, and expect the food in less than five minutes at the next window. And so we grow up with this mindset, and we believe that applies to God. And so what happens is we come to that gap between God's promise and fulfillment, and we deal with a lot of doubt and uncertainty and certainly tension between those points, holding on to God's promise. And some of you, maybe you're at that point. You've been believing God for something, and you're just not seeing it. And so in that gap, you're beginning to fill it with worry, doubt. It's very much human nature, but let me remind you of something. What Matthew brings to our attention isn't like waiting for a week for a promise to be fulfilled. It's not even like waiting for a year. When Matthew ties the fulfillment of Christ's birth to Isaiah, he is, he is bringing the book into a 600-year wait. Because when Isaiah spoke the words, and we see it in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the, the, the passage that Matthew uses, it says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. So basically, Matthew just lifts out Isaiah 7, 14. But here's the deal. It happened, that prophecy was given over 600 years prior to the birth of Christ. Have you ever had to wait 600 years for a promise? Man, there were other promises given up to the, the silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. As we look at the, the Bible historically, there was just years of silence, 500 years of silence. What do you think was happening in that gap between the promise and the fulfillment? I'll tell you what was happening. What was happening is Israel was wrestling with doubt. And they began to get distracted and they began to focus on other things. That's why when the Magi came from the east to come and worship this newborn king, which, by the way, probably happened when Jesus was about maybe a toddler, maybe two years old, and they he goes to where he thinks he would find a king in Jerusalem, like, like we talked about last week, and, and it upsets the whole group. And in fact, even those who study Scripture had to go look at the scrolls and determine what the time was of when the Messiah would come. Why? Because it wasn't even on their radar. Even though Jesus had already been born, the promise had already been fulfilled, had already been given, maybe as much as a year to two years ago, they look at the scrolls and go, oh, I think it's supposed to happen here, and this is what's going to take place. It wasn't even on their radar. Why? Because 600 years had passed, and God was silent. What happens between the promise and the provision of that promise when all you feel is silence? The Christmas story reminds us of this. God is faithful to his promise. The thing we wrestle with is not knowing the details of how that promise is going to unfold. And so many of you are so control freakish. You've got to know how God's going to do this. And the, the thing is, he doesn't give us the details often. In fact, here's something that may, may alarm you. God doesn't think about promise fulfillment the same way we do. We think in time and space God thinks eternity. 
That's why sometimes when you've prayed for something and you didn't see it this side of eternity and you wondered if God has failed you, the answer is no, he didn't. He just sees things differently than you do. So when you prayed for your loved one who was given a very bad diagnosis and God didn't seem to heal, instead you lost your loved one. And you think, well, thanks God for failing on your promise. Did he really fail? Or are we just looking at it from the wrong perspective? God is faithful to his promises. And maybe this Christmas you've been holding on to a promise of something you've been seeking him for. Can I just tell you, hold unswervingly to the hope because he is faithful. And Christmas reminds us God is faithful to his promise. I also want you to hear, we want to hear obviously the promise, but I want you also to hear the names. Hear the names. Hear the names and believe that Jesus lives up to his name, whatever life brings. So here are the names. Here are the names. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Back to that same passage we were at. I just want you to listen to this, this collection of, of verses in 21 to 23. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now I want to pause there. Normally the father would choose the name for his child. Well, in this case, I guess the father really did, right? But this would have been Joseph's job to choose the name. But there are some times God intervenes and says, you will call this child, and, and it gives a name. In this case, it's Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Fast forward to verse 23. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what's his name, Jesus or Emmanuel? Yes, in fact, when it comes to naming in the Bible, we look at the way that people develop names, it wasn't based on trendiness or cuteness or uniqueness. Like today, you, you might have been named what your name because your parents knew somebody, or it might be that it was passed down from family members before, and so you inherit these names, or, or it just sounds really cute until they're about 18 and go, why in the world did you name me that, right? Because now I'm 18 and I'm feeling like I'm a toddler still, right? So we, we pick names very differently than the way people in Bible pick names. In fact, when it came to naming your children, when it comes to the, the history of Israel, it was often based on an event that happened or a redefining moment or a repurposing moment, or sometimes it would happen based on a characteristic of that child. Let me give you an example. The name Ichabod. It's in the Old Testament. The priest named Ichabod, the name of his child, of course, in giving birth, even the woman who gave birth passed away. And the name Ichabod meant the glory has departed. It was a very sad moment in Israel's history because the glory of the Lord had indeed left. Israel had abandoned God, and God had therefore did what he promised that he would do if they chose to disobey him. And so when all this happens, the priest names his son Ichabod because of an event that was happening. Every time Ichabod's name was spoken, it was a reminder of God's glory departing. They don't name your kid Ichabod. All right. But there are also times that it was based on a redefining moment. You might recall that moment in, in, in the story when, when we see Abram in the book of Genesis, but then God starts to call him Abraham. 
And in renaming him, there is a redefined purpose. I know Abram and Sarai, you're you're childless, and right now things look pretty bleak, but through you and through your seed, I'm going to bless all nations, and you'll be called Abraham. And so he changes his name to being the father of many nations. We can also fast forward to the New Testament. We see a guy that Jesus calls, who's a fisherman, his name is Simon. But Jesus says, you are Peter. Peter means a rock. He was redefining, repurposing Peter's life. And then there are times that a person is named just based upon their characteristic. Esau, for example, it was based on a characteristic of this child, of this baby. When it comes to Jesus, it's based on a characteristic, isn't it? You will be called Emmanuel. God with us, Jesus, Savior of the world. And when it came to the names of Jesus, these were names about identity and names about purpose, names about key events. In fact, when you think about all the naming processes, it was all fulfilled in Jesus in the names that he had, Savior, God with us. I want you to go also to uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Because again, it reminds us that naming wasn't based on trendiness, cuteness, or uniqueness. It was all about identity. Look at what happened when the prophet Isaiah spoke. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So what was Jesus' name, right? Jesus, Emmanuel. I want you just to pause for a moment. And consider just these few names that have been attributed to Jesus. And here's why. Because he lives up to these names. And when life seems to be falling down around, you remember that Jesus lifts up and and will be true to his name. Maybe today what you're experiencing, maybe you need to know, I need to know that wonderful counselor. My life needs some guidance right now. Or I need somebody who is just and true to help me navigate through the unfair things that are happening to me. And Jesus to you can be the wonderful counselor who will guide you or uphold you. Or maybe you're going through something horrific and you need the mighty God to be present in your life. And Jesus is certainly that. Or maybe you need the hope of the everlasting Father, the Father of eternity, that by the death and resurrection of Jesus, all of us have the hope of eternal life beyond this life. Or maybe you need that Prince of Peace. Right now, things are very hard. It's difficult for you. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one or a challenge in life. And you need to know, is the Prince of Peace going to uphold his name in my life? Or maybe it's the Savior. Because you're still wrestling in the brokenness of sin and haven't yet committed your life to Christ. Or maybe it's just the fact to know that God is with you, even though it's difficult. Remember, when Jesus came, the world in that moment wasn't perfected, no, but he came to be with us right in the midst of the mess. He's with you. He's for you. So do you hear the names this Christmas? Which name means the most to you right now? Because he will live up to that name. I also want you to hear this morning, I want you to hear the angels. Hear the angels and believe that God's favor rests on you. I want you to flip to Luke. Because Luke also records for us, in fact, in more detail, uh, the infancy stage of Jesus. 
And in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8, we see this announcement from the angels. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, but they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Listen, when Jesus came, the the angels were announcing a time of peace. And it wasn't the Roman peace that was happening in Rome at the time because Rome in their military might have taken over the world and brought peace from their enemies. It's not that kind of peace. It's the spiritual peace that we all need, that all of us wrestle with through our life, trying to make peace, right? We, we talk about that. Well, you're going to die, you better make peace, right? The whole idea is having a rest for our souls that we sing about, that it is well, and finding that in God with us. So the angels came to announce that kind of peace, a peace for our souls to find its place in our Creator. And what a peace that is. But here's the deal. I don't think we wrestle maybe as much with with that aspect of understanding reconciliation with God. I think what most of us as Christians have a hard time with is resting in the favor of God. And who's this favor for? It says on on whom his favors rest. And here's the point. When it comes to the Jewish thought behind people who are favored by God, it's it's, it's people who are within the, the people of God. And in Christ Jesus, here's the good news. You are one of those. God is an includer, and through Christ, he includes you. But here's the deal. We have to respond to that. It's peace on earth, goodwill to men on whom his favor rests. And yes, Jesus came for everybody. But the favor of God rests on those who respond to that. Have you responded by faith? As Christ is your Savior, then here's the thing, Christian. God's favor rests on you. And maybe right now you you really are having a hard time with that because maybe you feel like God is mad at you. Or maybe you feel like you're a failure. When God looks at you, he looks at you with judgment. Can I just tell you, if you're in Christ, his favor rests on you. You are favored by God. And when you think about it from that perspective, that the God of the universe favors me. How might that change your perspective on the situation you're going through right now? Yeah, it might not feel very favorable with what you're facing, but God is for you. He favors you. Maybe you wrestle with esteem and how you view yourself. Think about this. God favors you. In other words, you could say you are a favorite of God. I know we don't often think about it that way, but when it comes to the mercy and grace of God, which totally baffles us, here's the deal. He favors you. It rests on you. The problem is we're not very good at resting in his favor, are we? Maybe it's just time to breathe deep and go, God loves me. He favors me. If I've responded by faith to the work that Christ has done for me, I'm a child of God, and his favor rests on me. 
I love my kids unconditionally as a father. They're not always perfect. But it's in those moments of imperfection that they get to really experience what the unconditional love of a father feels like. Isn't that true? The same is true for us. Rest in his favor. Because his favor rests on us. So hear the angels. That God's favor rests on you. And finally, hear the shepherds. Hear the shepherds. Reminding us to share what you believe with others so they will hear and believe. You know, when we look at Luke chapter 2, we, we continue the story at verse 15. And it says that when the angels had left them, the shepherds, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, what was their response? Okay, They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, by the way, which they had heard with good ears and saw with good eyes, right? Which were just as they had been told. I want you to think about this for a minute. The greatest news of all time, never before Was there this kind of news? And never again will there be. The greatest news of all time was given, that God loves us, he favors us, he sent his one and only son to be with us, to live with us, to die for us, to deliver us from our sins and provide for us an eternity. This was the greatest news of all time. And here's the thing. (laughs) It begs the question, why the shepherds? So I know sometimes we read the story of Christmas at face value, and we don't really think about it. But I want you to think with me for a minute. If God had arranged a star in the sky to guide some magi from the east to travel nearly a 1,000 miles to go worship the baby Jesus, don't you think he could have made better arrangement for good news bearers than shepherds? Let me give you an example. When a king... In this time, around the time of Jesus, when a king around the time of Christ wanted to share good news, he didn't look for the lowest servant in his kingdom to share the good news. Oftentimes, it was the right-hand man of the king who would go and share the news. And when they would share it, they would obviously be riding uh, on horses. There would be this great trumpets and sounding, and they would announce with grandiose uh, uh, voices and maybe even music this great news of the king. And when God offers us the greatest gift ever, his son, and he sends his best resources in heaven to announce it, it's Gabriel and the heavenly host choir. I mean, it kind of sounds like a, like a black gospel group, right? Gabriel and the heavenly host choir, they are sent by God, sent the best to announce the news. I want you to think with me for a moment, why would God send his best to what was considered the least, to be the ones who would see the Christ child and then spread the news. See, shepherds, we've talked about it before, but shepherds were an interesting community of people. God used quite a few in Scripture. We'll talk about that in a moment. But they weren't allowed to testify in court because 
because of generally the, the lifestyle of some shepherds. So they're kind of lumped into the least of the least. So why shepherds? Wasn't somebody else available? Come on, wasn't there like a better means to communicate the good news than shepherds? Why the shepherds? I can give you some excuses and answers of why it could be the shepherds. It might, it might be because they were available. <laughs> I've heard that one preached. They were available. Yeah, they were out in the field at night. They were available. I get it. They just sit and watch sheep. I mean, they got a lot of time on their hands. So they're available. That could have been. It could have been because Jesus was coming as the good shepherd and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And who better to understand that than shepherds? Like a little inside joke, right? Good shepherd. I'm the Lamb of God. I'm going to talk about this to shepherds because they'll get it. Well, it could have been that. But I thought about something this year I hadn't really thought about before. I want you to look at verse 11 again. Because it says, today, in the town of David. Now, just pause there for a minute. Why in the world would the angels use the title, town of David? It was called Bethlehem. In fact, later when the shepherds, the angels had left, the shepherds said what? Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Why in the announcement would angels call the city, the town, or the city of David rather than Bethlehem? Think on that for a minute, because here's what I thought about. I thought about David. Remember David of the Old Testament? He was the youngest in his family, the least of all the sons, and a shepherd. Story goes that when the priest, or the, sorry, the, the prophet Samuel came to the house to anoint the next king of Israel because he knew it was going to be from Jesse's family, he goes there and all of the sons of Jesse, except for David, are brought before the prophet. All the ones who seemed to be qualified, right, came by. Strong, tall, none of them. To the point where the, the prophet had to say, is this all the kids you got? Oh, we have one more, David, the runt. He's out taking care of the sheep right now. Well, send for him, and certainly he was the one that got anointed. The one that was overlooked, the one that was forgotten when the important person came to the house, the shepherd. <laughs> but what did he become? Giant slayer, king of Israel. One mentioned often when it came to ties to the Messiah who would come. The king that history has revealed as one of the greatest kings of Israel. In fact, every boy, much like the shepherds gathered on the hillside that day, every boy who was a shepherd probably grew up playing David. My kids today have their own heroes they like to pretend and dress up as. We have Captain America costumes. We have Iron Man costumes. We have things they want to dress up like and pretend hero. Shepherds back then, I think they played, I think they played oops, David dress up. I think they dressed up like David, and they had little slings and stones, and they went around reenacting the story of David. Why? Here's the bottom line. God often chooses the least to do his greatest. The least to do his greatest. David, the overlooked one, becomes the king of Israel. The shepherds that day represented the lone, the least, 
but they had the greatest message. And they left immediately their sheep, and they went to go see this thing. And when they saw the baby, what happened? It says they spread the news. So here's the thing. Somewhere between the announcement and going and seeing the baby Jesus and then telling people, where was the eight-year degree to become uh, well-skilled in the knowledge of theology? Nowhere. Where was the four-year Bible college or at least the two-year associate degree in, in religion, that they would leave there feeling equipped to go share what they had discovered. It's nowhere. What, what happened? They just told it like they saw it. And those who heard it were amazed. Why shepherds? Here's why. Because like you, I have questioned my ability to do what God has called me to do. Like you, there are times that I feel like I'm not going to be good enough to communicate who Jesus is to somebody. Like you, perhaps, I've been afraid to talk about Jesus to somebody. I wouldn't know what to say. Or maybe you don't feel qualified to talk about Jesus to your family or your friends. Because you don't know enough. You didn't go to Bible college. That's the job for the pastor. Let me just remind you. God uses the least to do his greatest. You don't have to go to Bible college to share the good news of Christ with somebody else. You have a story, and here's the thing. Nobody can question your story of what Jesus did for you. When the shepherds saw the baby Jesus, they didn't have to answer all the theology behind the prophecies and, and the Messiah. All they had to do was say, angels were talking to us about the Savior that was born to be the Savior of the world. We went and saw him, and there he was, just like it was said. And they just told what they saw and what they knew. And God used it, and all who heard were amazed. Here's the thing. How are you using your story to share the good news of what Christ has done for you? Nobody can deny it. It's your story. This Christmas, are you willing to share it with some family or friends who need to hear it? They might want to argue the finer points of theology. Don't go there. Just say, all I know is I was a sinner, and I asked Jesus to forgive me, and he did. And he transformed my life. And he set me free from these hang-ups and issues that I have had. He's given me victory to face the future. All you can do is just share your story. Remember that guy who was blind and Jesus healed him? And the priests wanted to kind of accuse him of being a sinner and all this kind of stuff. And they wanted to find out who it was. And they, they questioned him. He said, all I know is I was blind and now I can see. How, theolog how theologically deep was that argument? Not. You have a story. This year, hear the shepherds and be reminded to share what you believe with others so that they too will believe. And in all this hearing, here's the thing I want you to, to bring home today. What you believe about Christmas what you believe about Christmas influences what you hear this Christmas. What you believe. What do you believe about Christmas? Are you listening for jingling bells? What do you believe about Christmas? Do you believe that God loved you so much that he sent a son to come for you? Do you believe that God fulfills his promises? Do you believe that he named Jesus specifically because Jesus will always live up to his name? Do you believe that God's favor rests on you? And do you believe you have a story to tell of what you believe? Then here's the deal. 
What you believe about Christmas influences what you hear this Christmas. So what are you paying attention to? What are you paying attention to this Christmas? What are you hearing? Do you hear as I hear? And if you do hear, then what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? The shepherds immediately left their flocks and went to go check it out. Do you hear? And if so, what are you going to do to make sure you're really listening? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the wonderful news of Christmas. And I'm afraid that too often it becomes so familiar that it loses, it loses its wonder. And while we have heard the Christmas story again and again, God, I pray we would really listen this year. Listen. Listen that you are the promise-fulfilling Savior. That we would listen and know your names and how they meet us right where we live. I pray that we would hear the angels and know that your favor rests on us and we can rest in that favor. And we also, Lord, want to hear the shepherds and listen that we too might share a story with those who need to believe. That they might be amazed at who you are. So Lord, help us to hear as you've intended us to hear this Christmas season. And then help us in our hearing to do. To do what you've put in our hearts to do right now. To respond to you in some way. Maybe responding to who you are in our life right now. Or maybe responding by sharing who you are and who you have been with those around us. Send us, we pray. And help us as we hear to just not only enjoy that wonder, but share it. In Jesus' name.